Well, I think a few of us got caught in a bit of a lie today. Uh, I think one person whose face might look a little bit red tonight is my friend Lucy. Lucy, where are you? Because earlier today, my friend Lucy said, camping's real simple, guys. You got, you got two parts of the tent, the outside bit, the inside bit. And as long as you set it up right so the outside's not touching the inside, your stuff's going to stay dry. Woo! Uh, I think that's still good advice. I think it would be 10 times worse had we not set our tents up right. But my face was a bit red as well because I had my little boy here. It was his fifth birthday. He came and visited me on camp to say good day. And um, his name's Luca. And he was here and there's like lightning starts like flashing and thunder starts rumbling. And he's super scared of storms. And he's like, ah, ah, it's coming for me. And he's already covering his ears. And I'm like, dude, chill out. It's just a storm. There's no problem with thunderstorms and like... Nothing bad's going to happen. It's fine. Like, there's no problem with a little bit of rain, buddy. You'll be all right. And I'm just trying to tell him to calm down. It's all cool. But I might have been a little bit wrong. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, (laughs) It was pretty fun. I'm actually, I'm really thankful to God, actually, for this afternoon for a few reasons. I'll give you three reasons why I'm thankful for this afternoon. I'll give you a few thoughts. Um, The first one is, I think we got to see an awesome display of the mighty power of our great God. He rules the weather. He rules thunder. uh, And he... (laughs) And he's a mighty, mighty God. And we got a little glimpse of that this afternoon. I was a little bit scary at times as well, I guess, for some of us. But he's a, he's a powerful God, and he rules over all that stuff. And that was pretty cool to see. Secondly, I reckon I'm thankful this afternoon um, because it was a little kind of an insight into what it's like sometimes when you don't have much in this world. Um, I think we're not used to having... It, you know, you're going to have dry beds tonight by the time you go to bed, but we're not used to having our stuff wet and where am I supposed to be sleeping tonight and what's going on with this thing I was living in, but now it's on the ground in a puddle. Like, that's a really foreign experience for us. Um, but there are people all over this world, and some in this country, but particularly beyond Australia, um, who just don't have the stability of knowing where they're going to sleep at night or anything like that. And so you've got a little glimpse into how many, many people in this world live all the time. And I reckon just having that comfort taken away a little bit is is a good thing and something to be thankful for. And thirdly, I'm thankful because I reckon it has created an awesome opportunity that's already been happening for us to serve each other and love each other in ways that we wouldn't have had that not just happened for us. So I saw people like running around just like, like I'll call them the heroes of the storm, but those people were just like dragging strangers' belongings out of their tents that were falling down and like chucking them in holes. And I'm like, is that your stuff? And like, no, I'm just helping some random person. And there's people running around doing that. Um, there's like people like huddled in like the cabins over there at seniors, like sardines. And then someone walks in and is like, we need to go move stuff. And people were like, yeah, I volunteer as tribute. And they all ran out and that was cool. Um, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on. And since then, people are like walking around like, Oh, I'm really cold, and people are like, yeah, have a jumper, or, you know, you don't seem to have shoes, borrow some shoes, and all that stuff's really cool, and I want to encourage you guys to keep doing that. Um, camp's going to be fine, we're going to roll, and it'll be all good, but keep loving each other in ways that you wouldn't usually, be like, do you not have any dry clothes? Here's some of mine. Um, you can come to me for your extra, extra large clothes, if that's any of you, um, but, you know, like, help each other out, lend each other a pillow, hook each other up with a sleeping bag, or whatever. Uh, separately, sleep in your own sleeping bags. But, you know, help each other out, keep loving each other, keep serving each other. That's a really cool opportunity. So I'm really thankful for all those things. Um, But let's get into our talk. We're talking about greed. 
But I want to ask this first of all, what, what are you most scared of? What are you most scared of? For me, I think it's sharks. Sharks are terrifying. I have this sense that if you're in the water and a shark wants dinner, you're pretty helpless, aren't you? You're just like, I got no hope. Like if you're on the land and there's a lion in Australia for some reason, it's like, maybe I could run inside a building or something. But if you're floating around in the water and a shark's like, I'm hungry, I just reckon it's terrifying. Who else has sharks as their biggest fear? Okay, interesting. All right. Well, here's the thing. Sharks are by no means the thing that we should be most afraid of in Australia. There's lots of things that we should be more worried about. For example, dog attack. The humble family doggo is more deadly than sharks. Kills more people each year. Snake bite. So, Lucy, you were wrong about the it will be fine thing, but she was right about zipping up your tents. Snakes kill more people than sharks. If you drive into a deer in your car, well, that's very dangerous, but people, more people die from hitting deers in their cars than they do from shark attacks. Um, this one's particularly interesting. You are 30 times more likely to die from lightning than from sharks. Um, but let me assure you, you're still highly unlikely to die from lightning. Um, but this is, I think, my favorite one of all. Get this. You are two times more likely to die. This is on the internet. I hope it's true. You're, the internet says you are two times more likely to die from getting something stuck in a vending machine that you wanted to eat and being like, ah, and shaking the vending machine and reaching in or whatever until the vending machine falls on you and kills you. Yeah. More people die each year from vending machine falls than from shark attacks. Now, I'll tell you what the actual top three causes of... This is pretty dark, but just bear with me for a second. The top three dangerous things in Australia actually are car crashes, poisoning, and cancer. That's pretty normal, everyday stuff. And I don't know how many of you guys stay up late worrying about those sort of things, but that's the stuff that's actually really, really dangerous out there. Um, so so, so it's, we, we worry about sharks and murderers. My wife gets worried about um, snipers. She's like... <laughs> Like, she, like it's, a, it's a half real thing for her. She's like, what if the snipers, can they see in the window? And I'm like, I just don't know that anyone wants to kill us that badly. Um, <laughs> the thing that we should be really worried about, though, if you look at the statistics, is the boring, mundane, everyday part of life stuff is the stuff that's actually real and common and, and dangerous. Here's the thing, though. It's the same with idols. It's the same with idols. Idols can be big, obvious, serious, sinful stuff that's just clearly against what God wants. But idols can also just be simple good things that we turn into God things, that we make ultimate things. Now, don't answer this out loud, but I wonder what you reckon are the big, obvious idols that we need to watch out for here in Australia as teenagers. You don't have to answer, I'll tell you. You know, you're probably thinking things like, well, maybe it is love or sex or sport or uh, a career or school or whatever, friendship, drunkenness. I don't know. You've probably got a bunch of ideas of some things we need to watch out for, and they're all good examples, but I wonder how many of us are sitting here tonight as teenagers on the Central Coast going, I really need to watch out for the idol of greed. Maybe some of you, but I don't think many. But you know that Jesus preached more about greed than he, he did about any other sin. Jesus had more to say about greed than any other thing. Um, so, and, and here's the thing with greed. No one walks around thinking they're greedy because they just don't think they're that rich. 
You know, when you look at how much money you've got, you usually look at the other people around you and go, they've got a bit of money, I've got a bit of money. We're, no one's rich here. We've all just got similar amounts of money. We're doing okay. But get this. We live in the richest time in human history. So the people on the face of the earth today have more stuff that they own and more money than ever before. And we live in one of the richest countries in the world today. And most of you live in one of the most rich regions, one of the richest parts of Australia. And so are you in danger of the idol of greed? Absolutely you are. And you probably didn't even realise it. You probably didn't realise this was a thing. The greed is a huge problem for Australians. And the biggest problem in all of that is we don't even realise that it's there. We don't even realise that the greed is there. And here's the other thing that's tricky with, with money and with greed, well, particularly with money. Money isn't sinful. Okay? Money's not evil. It's not sinful. You know, when... When we sin with money and with greed, it's always a little bit more grey. If you're someone running around swearing all the time, it's pretty obvious to see that you're someone who's swearing. But with money, it's tricky. What, what is a normal use of money? What's just been a normal person who's just using money sensibly? And what's been greedy? It's actually a much trickier thing to work out. It's hard to nail down. And tonight, Jesus has a huge warning for us in this passage. God's Word has a huge warning for us. Because the danger is... As you grow up in the place you live, in the country you live in, in the time that you live right now, your future may be that you may be taken captive by this idol of greed and and may just grab it with two hands and not even realise that's what's going on because everyone else around you is doing the same thing. And so tonight I want us to hear this warning and see how we can be rescued and replace the idol of greed. So let's pray and then we'll dig into the passage. Father God, we do thank you so much for this afternoon. Thank you for the little taste and insight into what it's like to go without for a small amount of time. Father, please take the lessons of the Savo and and the things that we're going to see in your word, particularly tonight, uh, to show us what's really going on in our world and in our lives. Please teach us from your word. Help us to be honest and reflect carefully and hear what it has to say. Please shape us by your word tonight. Amen. All right, now for the rest of um, this week, the next three talks, including this one, each talk is going to be looking at one particular idol and how one person in the Bible has been gripped by that idol. And tonight we're looking at Zacchaeus, who's a guy who had an idol. And here's the first thing to see. Zacchaeus was a guy who worshipped money. Now, how do you know that's the case? Look again closely at verses 1 and 2. Jesus entered Jericho... And was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Um, Now, you've got to get this. Everyone back in the day hated tax collectors. And here's why. Um, Basically, it's like this. The Romans who ruled the world at the time, they'd conquered the whole place. They'd conquered the world, and it was the Roman Empire, but they needed money from all the different people they'd conquered to run their empire, and so enter the friendly neighborhood tax collector, who was the biggest jerk in the world. These guys were the worst. Basically, what they would do is they'd choose people from within that country, so Zacchaeus would have been a Jewish guy, and he would go around to his other Jewish mates, and he'd collect their taxes off them, 
to give it to the Romans. <clears throat> but if he was really good at collecting lots of taxes, he could pocket a whole bunch of the money himself and get very rich by grabbing all his mates' money and giving it to the Romans and keeping some for himself. He was a bad dude. It would be a little bit like if North Korea came... Uh, the second time we talk about North Korea this week. Sorry, North Korea. North Korea comes, takes over Australia, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'll work for you guys. I'm, I'm on board with the program. And so I started working for North Korea and I start grabbing all your money to give to them because they rule us now. And I keep a whole bunch of it for myself as well. And I'm like, yeah, North Korea's doing great. And I get a bunch of money. You guys would hate me for that, right? You'd be like, Jono, you're a big jerk. Stop taking my money and giving it to North Korea and spending it on yourself. Zacchaeus' own people hated him. You can see what they think of him in verse 7. Check it out. All the people saw what was going on and they began to mutter. They're talking about Jesus. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. He was a famous sinner. They, they knew that he was the worst kind of dude because he really was. He was the chief tax collector. He wasn't just a low-level kind of one of the tax collectors. He was the guy in charge. He was the chief tax collector. And he was rich, but the cost was that his own people hated him. He wouldn't have been able to go anywhere without people kind of talking smack quietly in the background, hating on him, thinking rough stuff about him. He wasn't well-liked by the people around him. So why would anyone take a job like that? Imagine if I was like, i got a job for you. It's the tax collector for North Korea. You want in and I'll give you the... Like, why would anyone do that? One word, greed. He was greedy. Zacchaeus was willing to do pretty crazy stuff because he wanted lots of money. And that showed where his heart was at. He was serving money. He was worshipping money. It was ruling him. Now, how do you reckon Zacchaeus got to that point? How do you reckon he got to the point where he was doing this stuff, taking everyone's money? Um, I don't reckon he was just like sitting around one day and was like, I think I'm going to just become a big jerk and steal a bunch of money and do all this stuff. I reckon it would have been one slow decision after another where he let more and more of money rule his life until here he was, chief tax collector, with everyone hating on him, taking everyone's money. He would have been seduced by money, I reckon. And in the end, he was serving money, not God. Now, look at what Jesus says about money in Luke chapter 16. Check out Luke chapter 16, verse, six, verse 13 up on the screen. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You've got to choose. It's one or the other. You can't have both. You have to choose. <clears throat> now, notice how he describes money there as well. As Jesus talks about money, he says that you can end up serving money. You can have money as your master, which is a pretty bizarre thought, isn't it? Like, think about this for a second. Imagine if you got a thousand bucks. You know how, like, we're giving away prizes this week. It's like, you win a T-shirt or a milkshake or whatever. Imagine if one of the games was like, uh, truth or dare, oh, he's a million dollars, and you got a million dollars. Just picture that for a second. Picture what you could buy. What would you do with it? What would you do first? What would you do first? A million bucks. Lamborghini. Shaves. Put it in the bank. Very sensible young man. Buy a house. That's good. Invest it. You're all yelling stuff, and it sounds very exciting. <clears throat> hey, can we open these two doors as well? It is incredibly hot, so let's open the doors and turn on the fans and do that right now. Take one minute, open the doors, turn on the fans, say good day to someone nearby, share a, st a storm story. Say hello to someone, turn on the fans, let's go.
<laughs> Sorry. All right, all right, all right, all right. Bring it in, bring it in. Bring it in, bring it in. All right. Stop moving around. Grab a seat. Sweet. In, in my head, when I picture a million dollars, I reckon I'm thinking about absolute freedom. For me, a million dollars is like, man, I could buy so much stuff. Anything I wanted, I could go and buy. It sounds so freeing and so, like, I could just do whatever I wanted with a million dollars. It would do so much for me. Jesus says it would turn you into a slave. When it's an idol, it doesn't serve us. We serve it. It becomes our master. And so you end up working for it. You devote yourself to it. You sacrifice for it. It makes your decisions. It governs your lives. It enslaves us. And Zacchaeus is just an extreme example of that by the time you see him here as a tax collector. He's been up to all sorts of dodgy stuff, living, following money. And so is greed your God? Is greed your God? Here's some good questions you could ask yourself when you think about that. Here's a question. Are you content with what you already have? Now, once you get a thing, whatever it is you wanted to get, how long is it before you want or need something else? Are you ever satisfied with what you've got? Because greed always wants more. Here's another question. Are you always dreaming of new stuff to buy? You know, is that where your kind of your thoughts and your heart goes in your spare time? You know, I can't wait for that new iPhone to come out. Or you know, is anyone like those people who watch like those YouTubes of unboxing videos where they're like, "This is a new computer. It's in a box, and I took it out." You know, maybe you're one of those people. Is that new car that you're saving up for? All that you think about, is it those clothes that you want to buy next month when you get paid or whatever? If you're always dreaming of the next thing you want to buy for yourself, it could be that greed is an idol. Here's another question. Is there stuff that you have that you just could never let go of if you needed to? You know, you're convicted you should or whatever. Is there possessions you have that you could just never give up? Your wardrobe, your phone, your, da- your gaming collection. Are you holding on to stuff so tightly that you would just never be able to part with it? It could be that's a sign of greed. Here's another question. What do you spend your money on? How much of it do you spend on yourself? Some of it? Most of it? All of it? So if you spend all your money on you then what does that say about who you're serving with your money? You're serving yourself. It could be that what's going on is greed. Here's another question. Do you steal because you want stuff that you can't afford to buy? It could be that you're literally stealing stuff from the shops. It could be that you're stealing stuff online. Now, it's a problem that you're stealing. That's, God's got an issue with that as well. But the problem underneath that problem could be greed. That's what's driving you there. Here's another question, a bit different. Does your job always win over youth and church and that kind of stuff? 
So would you be willing to take extra shifts on a Friday, even though it means you'd be missing youth, missing Bible study? Are you making all sorts of compromises because of your job, because that's what you want? Now, take it if you're doing that. It's probably not because you're just super passionate about making good burgers at McDonald's. You're not like, I love McDonald's, and I just love cooking my burgers, and I love youth as well. Which good thing will I choose? That's not really the choice, is it? It's, I want the money I'm going to make when I work at Macca's, but youth matters too. Which will I choose? So it could be that earning that money matters more to you than God. It could be a sign of greed. There's a bunch of good questions you guys could ask yourselves. Before we move on, though, I want to make one long-term big application, all right? And here it is. Make long-term decisions that serve God, not greed. So in the future, when you finish the HSC or if you go to TAFE or whatever, are you going to choose a job or career path that's going to earn you heaps of money, even if it means you can't serve God? God the best way you could in that place. See, it's not wrong to choose one job over another. It's not one job that earns more money is the bad job and the job that doesn't earn much money is a good job. It really depends on why you're taking one job over another. See, when you're choosing a job, here's what most people do, I think. They've got a handful of questions they'll ask themselves. Do you guys have to fill out those UAC preferences? What's it called now? Whatever it is. You've got to choose your thing you want to do at uni, right? And it's really hard. No one knows how to do it. Here's, I reckon, some of the questions people ask as they do it. They go, what am I interested in? What kind of job will be like the kind of thing I want to be? I want to be this person that people respect because I'm a whatever. And, and probably, how much money will it make me? There's a few of the questions people ask when they work that out. <clears throat> Can I suggest another option? How about you ask these questions? In the future, what job will allow me to share Jesus freely with as many people as I can. And I'm not saying everyone should go and do full-time ministry because lots of jobs have different contexts that you work in the normal workforce out there. What job will allow me to share Jesus with people at work is one question. What job will give me enough spare time after work so that my whole life isn't run by my job, so that I'm free to serve in church and around the place like that? And three... What job will mean I'll be able to live in a place where I can go to a good, ser- good church and serve God there and grow in that place? You get that? How, where will I be able to share Jesus with people at work? What's going to give me some time outside of work to, to worry about other stuff? And what job is going to allow me to live in a place where I can actually serve God in a good church? <clears throat> I reckon if that first set of questions I offered is how you're making your decision or how you're planning to make your decision, I reckon there's a good indicator that maybe your master is actually greed. But if, if Jesus is your God, use that second set of questions. And that's how you make a decision like that. And I'll tell you a funny thing. I reckon many of us in this room would, would say we're Christians, and I take it that we are. But when it comes to making that decision about the future, about what job you're going to work... I reckon so little of the time do we think about that second set of questions. And we say, we're Christians, and we go, I'm a Christian. What am I interested in? What will make people respect me? How much money will I earn? I reckon that's how we make decisions. Use that second set. I reckon, I reckon we all, well, maybe not all of us, <clears throat> I reckon most of us, if we're Christians here, we know that we shouldn't go and become professional drug dealers and thieves and things like that. So we're like, I won't do something naughty like that. 
But apart from that, put that aside, I'm just going to go do whatever I want based on those other questions. Show who your God is by the way you make these big long-term decisions. Greed's a powerful idol. It seriously is. And the scary thing about it is it isn't obvious. It's not always clear when it's there. And it can sneak up on you. And after a few small decisions after another, you can find yourself in the position that Zacchaeus was, where really it's running your life. And you didn't ever one day get out of bed and decide you wanted to do that. It just sneaks up on you. All right. Here's the second thing we need to see tonight from this passage, and it's this. We desperately need to be rescued from greed. See, Zacchaeus reaches out to Jesus in this passage. I don't know if you noticed that. Zacchaeus reaches out to Jesus, and then Jesus reaches out to him as well. First of all, see how Zacchaeus reaches out to Jesus. Look at verse 3. It says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So it says there that he wants to see who Jesus is. So this isn't a guy who just wants to kind of see the show of Jesus because he's heard that a bunch of crazy stuff is going on. He's actually interested in seeing who Jesus is. He wants to know Jesus. He's pursuing this man that he's heard so much about, but he's so short. It says he's a short man that he can't see people, he can't see Jesus, he can't see him over the crowd, and he's hidden behind the crowd. And it's a crowd of people who are actually pretty hostile to him. They don't like him, they think he's a sinner. And then, you know, I reckon if I was Zacchaeus, if I was like, I want to see who Jesus is, but then there's this mob of people who really don't like me, and I'm like, let me see him. And they're all just like, shut up, little guy, and pushing me out of the way. If I was Zacchaeus, I reckon I'd be pretty self-conscious, and I'd be like, I think I'm just going to go home, because these guys don't want me here. But instead, look at what Zacchaeus does in verse 4. he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore trig fee to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Fully grown man in front of all these people, climbs a tree and gets up the top and he's like, I just want to do everything I can to get to this Jesus guy and see him. So he reaches out to Jesus. He makes an effort to see Jesus. But here's the crazy bit. (coughs) Jesus reaches out to him. Look at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Sorry, my voice is sketchy. Out of all the people there that day, Jesus singles out Zacchaeus. He chooses him. He chooses the greedy tax collector that everyone hated. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out with you tonight. Now, I don't know at this point that Zacchaeus understands everything there is to understand about God and about Jesus, but I think he's getting the beginnings of it because this encounter with Jesus completely rocks Zacchaeus' world. In verse 9, Jesus says that Zacchaeus has been saved, salvation has come to his house in undeserved grace, Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus and he rescues him from his idol. Now, I think we see the full picture, the full expression of this rescue from the idol of greed when we see Jesus die on the cross. I think we see the full picture of our rescue from idols then. Check out up on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says this, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so 
that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This isn't just talking about money, by the way. Jesus was rich in the fullest sense of the word. He was at the right hand of God in heaven, enjoying all the privilege of that position. But for our sake, Jesus became spiritually poor. He took on the feeble body of a man and he died on the cross for us for our sin. And all of that means that we can become spiritually rich. We have forgiveness. We have a relationship with God. And so God, God's grace to us in Jesus is what rescues us from the idol of greed. But you know what? That grace that rescues us is also the model for how we should live. Here's the third thing to see. We need to replace greed with Christ-like generosity. So Jesus' grace transforms us to be generous people. Look at what happens to Zacchaeus. He meets Jesus. Look at verse 8. This is crazy. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. He's been rescued. He's been shown so much grace. He's just a different guy. You know, in the Old Testament, the law commanded people to give away 10% of what they had um, to give it away. Zacchaeus gives away 50% of what he has, like that. It's gone, 50%. He just gives it away. In the Old Testament as well, in Numbers chapter 5, it says that if you steal from another person, you should confess what you've done, uh, and then you should repay them what you stole, plus 20% interest. Zacchaeus promises to give back four times the amount he stole from people. If I've stolen from anyone, I'm going to pay him back four times over. It's like 400% interest. That's a lot. <clears throat> Imagine you're at school and some bully comes along and he's like, you got a 50 because you're like loaded for the canteen that day. And the bully beats you up and takes your $50 note. And you're like, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me, except for that time my tent got blown away at fat, right? And your $50 is gone. But then the next day, out of nowhere, this bully comes up to you and he's like, I did the wrong thing yesterday. It was a terrible thing I did. Here's your 50 bucks. And here's another 150. Here's, or 250, I got the math wrong. But he gives you like four times the amount or whatever it's supposed to be. It's so generous that you're just like, what happened to this bully person? What happened to you overnight that one day you're stealing my 50, the next day you're making it rain for me, give me all this money. Here's the point. Zacchaeus has been smashed by Jesus' grace. He's been rescued from his idol, and so he's replaced that idol with generosity. But get this as well, notice this. He's not trying to obey the Old Testament law to earn his way to heaven. This isn't about earning salvation. Jesus has already shown him grace before he does any of that, and he's doing way more than the law requires of him to do. So this isn't rule-keeping to earn his way into God's good books. This is grace-fueled generosity. And it looks so obvious in Zacchaeus' life. It's so huge. And so in verses 9 and 10, Jesus says this about Zacchaeus. He says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus has been transformed by Jesus' grace. He's replaced the idol of greed with Christ-like generosity. 
And so what should we do if we think we've got greed going on in our lives? Here's one thing. Actively repent. Actively repent. Make tough decisions to change and get rid of the greed that's in your heart. I remember when I was, um, I don't know, year 10 or something like that, back in the day when I was in year 10, I had this huge CD collection, right? It was the best thing. I had like Blink-182 and all these other punk CDs and some Scar. It was really cool. You don't even know what Scar is. I had all these CDs, right? Ben Cartland's like, yeah. <laughs> had all these CDs. But the problem was, most of them were all burnt. And you probably don't even know what that is. But you used to like make copies of CDs that weren't yours. You just copied them in a computer drive that had two drives. So I had this huge pile of music that I'd stolen on all these CDs, and I loved my music so much. And then one day, my youth group leader was like, that's illegal, it's actually stealing, and I'm pretty sure God's got a problem with that. And I was like, ah, I don't know that he does. And my was like, I reckon he does. And I was like, ah, I don't reckon he does. And he'd show me in the Bible why that was true, and I'd be like, but does it really? And he'd be like, I reckon it does. And I did this little dance for ages, and I was like, okay, I've got to do something what about if I just don't burn any more CDs? What if I keep the ones I got? Because I really don't want to lose them, but I won't burn any more. Um, now, eventually, God's grace did do its work in my heart, and I did, I think, properly repent of that, and I did take the action that I needed to, and I chucked out my entire CD collection, except the few that I actually owned. Are you ready to make big calls about the greed in your life? whatever that might look like for you. Will you make big decisions to repent and change? So if you're someone, what would it look like to repent if you're someone who's been torrenting stuff illegally online or however you do that these days? You've been stealing stuff online and streaming it when you haven't paid for a subscription or whatever. What would repentance look like? Make a decision now to commit to never doing that again. Stop it. If you've been stealing from people, physically taking money or whatever, or you know, something like that, what would it look like to repent? I reckon you want to own up to it, tell the person what you've been doing, say sorry, and pay back what you stole. I reckon that's a big call, but repentance, the Bible doesn't say repentance is easy. Make active, proactive decisions to repent and to change. There's the first thing. There's active repentance. But secondly, to deal with greed, replace greed with active generosity. Actually start giving your money away. If there's one thing that will stop a person from being greedy, it's when they just start giving their stuff away. That's exactly what Zacchaeus did. Actively be generous with your money. Give it away. Nothing kills greed like giving away. Here's a few tips on how you can think about doing that. First one is this. Spend less money on yourself. To be generous to others with your money, here's a pro tip, you actually need to have some money. And so you need to not spend all the money you have. If a greedy person owns 25 cents a week, they're probably going to spend 25 cents a week on themselves. If a greedy person earns $1,000 a week, they're probably going to spend $1,000 on themselves. So rather than letting how much money you earn dictate how much money you spend on yourself, you actually want to sever the connection between how much money I earn and how much money I spend on myself. Does that make sense? You actually got to go, I won't just spend all the money I got because I got it. I'm going to spend less of the money I earned. So I got some money over here, which I can give away to others. If you can break that link between what you earn and what you spend, 
That'll free you up to actually be generous to others. Second, be spontaneously generous. When you see people who are in need, be generous. You see someone who's short on money, just be generous, help them out. It might be your friend, it might be a random person. Surprise them with grace-driven generosity. And people will notice that and God can get the glory. Third, be generous particularly to the gospel. Every week at youth, we send around giving bags and whatever those bags are for in any one term, it's always so that people can hear about Jesus. That's what those bags are for. Now, I don't want to say this to be discouraging, but I want to say this so you get a sense of how we're doing here. Um, collectively as a group, and I know we're in very different places, and so some of you may be being very generous, um, but collectively as a youth ministry, most weeks we spend more money on milkshakes at the snack bar than what we put in the bag, most weeks. Not always, but often. And I take it that there's some of you who have been incredibly generous and, and sacrificing and giving lots so that people can hear about Jesus, I think a lot of us just aren't using those bags at all. And it might just be that you're just a bit disorganized and you just didn't think to bring money to youth and you're always, oh, I forgot again. It could be a lot of things. Um, but get this, <laughs> I reckon we can do better than that. I reckon we can do better than that. And I want to say this as well. I'm not saying this now to make you feel really guilty and we're going to send some giving bags around later on or something like that. We're not going to do any giving on fat, right? This is the kind of thing that I want you to take away and actually think about and reflect on and think about your life and your money and how you use it and go, does something need to change there? Do I need to give? Pray, reflect, take some time, make some decisions. And in a few weeks when you starts up again, use those bags so that people can hear about Jesus. And here's the cool thing, guys. I reckon generosity is a little bit like exercise, okay? It's a bit like exercise. The more you do it, the more you love it. You know how some people are like, I just got up for a jog, it's 5 a.m. and I love jogging. It's because they've been jogging and they've been exercising, so they more and more love the whole exercise thing. Generosity is like that. The more you do it, the more you'll love it, the more you'll get into it, and you'll, you'll grow a heart for generosity. And guys, I reckon often when you're young, you can go, oh, I'll sort out this generosity thing later. I really don't have much money now compared to my parents or whatever. And so I'll let them be generous with their money, but I don't have that much, so I don't really need to worry about it. Who really cares about $2.50, which is half of my income or whatever's going on for you, right? But the thing is, it doesn't get easier to be generous the older you get. The older you get, the greater the temptation will be to keep holding on to your money. And you'll always tell yourself, ah, oh, in the future, I'll have more. I'll get, you know, you'll always make a time in the future when you want to start being generous. So start now. Form habits as a year eight kid. Brothers and sisters, we've got to hear a warning from God's word tonight. Greed is a serious danger for us, particularly here in Australia. If you're not careful, one day you'll turn around and you'll realize you've built your whole life around this thing and you didn't even realize that was a decision you're making. And so deal with it now. And as you do that, remember your rescue through the Lord Jesus Christ who so generously has saved us. He's given up everything for our salvation. And so be transformed by his grace and serve the true and living God with everything, including your money. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you so much that we do live in a country where we have plenty we thank you for all the things that we take for granted on a daily basis, for food, for water, for shelter, for clothes, and, and all the good things that are ultimately from you. 
We thank you so much for that stuff, but Father, we pray, please, that you would protect us from it. (laughs) I pray that you'd protect us from being comfortable and always having enough and having plenty and, and ultimately becoming people of greed. Father, please give us an awareness of what's going on in our hearts when it comes to money. And please help us to run the other way from greed. And I pray that we do that by being people of active repentance and active generosity, all the while holding on to our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.